Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest will again be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. She will be neurologist Natalie Manalo, who will help us understand the diagnosis and treatment of headaches, which is incredibly common. Oh, it's extremely common. And I was intrigued to learn, Tom, that according to the World Health Organization, the average physician receives four hours only of education during medical training on headaches. Is that true? Yes. And you better make it efficient. You better hope your doctor was awake during those lectures. No kidding. You know, I, I'd like to think that I got a little bit more of that, but it probably depends on the specialty as well. Headaches are something that I, as family medicine, we see all the time, and I'm happy to get Dr. Manalo in here with the neurology specially. So in an average day in your clinic, how many would come in with headache as one of their complaints? Oh, I'd say with one of, with one of the complaints, at least 10, 15 percent. Wow. It's, it's a common, not, and not that it's their chief complaint or their only one, but people get occasional headaches and seek out treatment because there's good treatments out there. So at least three or four patients a day you oh, might definitely. see complaining of that. I found an interesting statistic. We like data here on Dr. Doctor. The 2017, the most recent, Global Burden of Disease Study, they looked at the top causes of years of life lost due to disability. In other words, where people could not do their preferred work or um, uh, avocational uh, exploits. Number one, low back pain. And we've had a show on back pain. Mm, number that. two, headache disorders, particularly migraines. And this was ahead of number three, depression. Who would have thought? Yeah. You know, and uh, in some of the things I read, uh, uh, headaches are the under disease. They're underestimated, underrecognized, and undertreated. Thus, the reason for seeking out a headache expert for this episode. Well, I, I think a lot of people will like this because at least a, according to some statistics we found, about 50%, half of adults worldwide have at least one headache a year. So chances are half of our listeners will find this applicable to their life. And maybe we are even the source of some of your headaches. If you are, you have permission <laughs> to turn down the volume or, or just try to, try to lip read. <laughs> I, I guess that won't work. We're not on video yet, are we, Andrew? Yeah. So, but what are some of the problems with headaches? Well, they hurt people's lives. They do lead to disability, reduce the quality of life, cost money to treat. And interestingly, less than half of them are ever diagnosed by a physician, half of the patients who get headaches. Yeah, I think a lot of people really suffer with headaches for a long time before they seek out medical care. You know, and it says that 30% of all adults in the world have had a migraine headache, at least report having one. My question is, are they right? Because most people seem to think that a really bad headache, by definition, is a migraine. I want to find out from Dr. Manalo if that's true or not. Yeah, how to tell the difference. Now, here's the really bad statistic, and I feel quite sorry for this 2 to 4% of people worldwide who have headaches at least half the days of their life. All ages, wow. all races, all income levels, no matter where you live. And for a lot of these folks, it, it would be practically impossible to function normally during one of these headaches. Uh, right. Uh, every 10 seconds, an American goes to the emergency room because of head pain. Wow. That's, that's just incredible. And 4 million people in the U.S. have migraines at least 15 days per month. And 90% of people with migraines, they cannot function normally. Well, I know you had mentioned cost as well, Tom. You have some numbers on cost uh, lost, right? The cost of the headaches and, and lack of people working. Right. $36 billion a year just due to workers with migraines. Gee whiz. And the, but the cost of treating migraines was only $5.4 billion. I say only. That's you know less than one-sixth of the cost lost due to uh, productivity because they couldn't be at work. So it's definitely worth treating. Definitely. And, uh, you know, an important thing to understand is the difference between a primary headache disorder and a secondary headache disorder. 
A primary disorder means there's a problem with the pain-sensitive structures in our head. So either the chemical activity in the brain, the nerves or vessels around the skull, or the muscles in your head and neck. So in primary headaches, it's not a symptom of another disease. The disease is the headache. Which would be opposed to the secondary headache disorder where the headache is a symptom of something bigger going on. Correct. And... Yeah. Go ahead. A lot of people, I think, assume that that could be the problem, at least folks I talk to. My headaches are bad or more frequent. I so must I, have a tumor. I must have a brain tumor. <laughs> We're going right. to address that right up front with Dr. Manalo. But over 90% of all headaches are primary and fall into one of two categories that we'll talk about, tension headaches and migraine headaches. Uh, and it seems that about every, uh, one in every eight to nine people has migraine headaches on a regular basis. Well, I know, Tom, in, in relation to headaches, you wanted to touch on a special trigger for headaches that I had not really heard of before preparing for the show, the multiple chemical sensitivities. Yes, I, I have this problem. And it's important because when I'm operating on patients, if they have a strong perfume on, I get an immediate headache. Trust me, you do not want somebody with a headache and difficulty breathing operating on your face. So, on top of the packet of information they see, in about 40-point print, it says, please do not wear anything with a scent to it. And it lists perfumes, deodorants, soaps, anything uh, like that, because I can't operate on you. And so when I found this study, it amazed me. It was a 2018 study from the Journal of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. And they looked at over 1,100 adult Americans. What they found was that 13% of them have a multiple chemical sensitivity syndrome, and about a quarter of them have chemical sensitivity to at least one chemical. Now, what was amazing is that of that 13% with a multiple chemical sensitivity, 86% experience health problems such as migraines. Gee whiz. Uh, so when I figured it out, and if you look at how common this multiple chemical sensitivity is and how commonly they get migraines, it works out to one in nine people in the American population cannot be near strong perfumes because they get migraine headaches immediately on inhaling it. So this is a public service announcement for my people out there, you who suffer from this sensitivity, because many people are not aware that the strong perfumes they're wearing are really causing considerable pain, and not just headaches, but it can even cause asthma, other breathing problems, dizziness, or nausea. And this is within seconds of smelling the strong scents. Now, Tom, have you smelled these people without perfume? Is that preferable to you? Oh, yes. Just regular body? Just body. regular body odor I don't even notice. <laughs> okay, there you go. So you heard it from Tom, so don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Even and, if you're covering something up, and, it might not need covered. Yeah, it's supposedly due to uh, dilating or making wider blood vessels in the, in the scalp that lead to the pain. Now, this condition uh, has been increasing, too. Do we know why that is? It probably is increased fragrances in the environment around us. And I think I know what triggered mine. Oh, really? Probably five to ten years ago, one of my sons started wearing an underarm product called Axe. Oh. A-X-E. That's an incredibly strong fragrance. And after that, I just couldn't tolerate being around other fragrances. Wow. Holy cow. So it is something that this study suggests has increased up to 300% maybe in the last decade. Yes. So that it is something that we're probably going to hear a lot more about. And it is a good public service announcement for folks that, you know, if you're not affected, it's probably something that it hadn't occurred to me before. Right. So, so I was happy to learn about so it. So there you have it. And before we go to our break and our interview, we will have our special medical trivia question of the day. And this is related to a historically important headache. Shortly after 1 p.m. on April 12, 1945, while sitting for a portrait at his vacation retreat in Warm Springs, Georgia, someone quietly uttered his last and very famous words, quote, I have a terrific pain in the back of my head, end quote. He then collapsed in his chair. Two and a half hours later, he was dead from a massive bleed in his brain. 
Who was this famous individual that died shortly after the onset of what is known as a thunderclap headache? That's a headache that reaches maximum pain within seconds. And that date is 1945. That's another little hint there. We'll be back with more on Dr. Doctor after the break. Welcome back to that segment of the show when we have our guest on, who tonight is Dr. Natalie Manalo. She's a general neurologist at Fort Wayne, Indiana's Neurological Center. Her specialties include sleep medicine and autoimmune neurology. Who knew that was even a thing, but not for tonight's show or today's <laughs> show, whenever you're listening. She's married to JP, has a three-year-old son, Marco, a one-year-old daughter, Gianna. She went to medical school way down south, but not where the bananas grow, in LSU at Shreveport in her home state of Louisiana. She did residency and sleep medicine fellowship both at Northwestern University in Chicago and autoimmune neurology fellowship at a little school called Harvard. And she's a clinical volunteer teaching faculty member at the Indiana University School of Medicine and an active member of the Catholic Medical Association. Natalie, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you. Well, Natalie, the most common type of headache is the tension headache. What is this and what causes it? So you're right. It is very common. Almost everybody has had one of these. And it's generally my patients will come in and say, it was just a regular headache, you know, one of those. And I'm like, describe it to me. Um, and usually what they describe is kind of a uh, hat band sensation around their head where they feel this like tightening or pressure in their scalp muscles. And, you know, we used to think that it was purely muscle tension mm -hmm. that, that caused the headache. You know, hence the name tension headache or tension type headache, as it's called now. But more recent data suggests that the muscle tension may be more of a trigger. And it's it's sort of a kind of pain sensitization that happens over time to where um, smaller and smaller muscle tension triggers are needed in order to produce the pain stimulus. So where brain. is the pain coming from if it's not the muscles? So the pain is probably starting in the muscles, but it's being amplified and amplified through the nerves in what in a process called central sensitization, where the brain starts giving the 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 person a pain signal, even you know without without even as much muscle tension as they had originally. So is the pain coming from outside the brain, inside the br or brain, or both? Both. Okay. <laughs> the, well, the brain itself is not a pain-sensitive structure, actually. Um, the brain tissue itself. The pain-sensitive structures in the skull are the lining of the brain called the meninges. Mm -hmm. um, that's what gets all inflamed in a meningitis. And then the blood vessels themselves are pain-sensitive as Inside well. Inside or outside the skull or both? Both. Okay. Both. And as well as the um, cranial nerves, so the the little nerves that go into your eyes and move your eyes, or you know, go to your face and supply sensation to your face, like the trigeminal nerve. So, what usually brings on a tension headache? So, um, stress is a big trigger. Um, and can you define stress? We use that word so often. It's <laughs> a very good question. Yeah. So, so stress is anything. Um, in in the environment that um, can can produce you know a sense of emotional tension or anxiety, you know, people respond to external stressors differently, and not everybody gets tension headaches from it. You know, people certain people can have, for instance, a very stressful job, and they're not prone to tension headaches. So it really depends on our response to stress, which is why. Um, a lot of the treatments for attention headache kind of involve, you know, uh, managing people's response to stress. So do tension headaches usually come on the same time of day? Is there a similar pattern to them or can they be very different? They can be throughout the day, but in general, people um, will often have their tension type headaches at the, towards the end of the day, like towards the afternoon, the end of the work day, um, when they're stress has kind of built up throughout the day or, you know, activities like um, prolonged screen time, looking at a computer for a while can, can that cause brings up a great question. Headache. My kids just recommended at Christmas and I actually got some uh, glasses, reading glasses that filter out the blue light. What is the relationship of that blue light and the computer screens to headaches? That's a very good question. And, you know, light in general can be a trigger for migraines. 
And I haven't seen any data. I'm sure it's out there. Maybe we'll have to ask our ophthalmology friends. Um, I'm sure it's out there, but I haven't seen what, you know, wavelength of light is more of a trigger to migraine patients. Although I think there are glasses that people with migraines that are supposed to filter out some of the computer signals, I, computer, you know, light, right. I haven't I mean, part of the blue light is with the pineal gland keeping you awake. But I know that immediately when I put them on with my computer, I felt much more relaxed. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we know that blue light from screens is, um, you know, interferes with sleep and is a big stimulus to our, um, you know, uh, brain that it's time to be awake and alert. Another one of your specialties in sleep medicine. You know, I, I had a question, Natalie. You used the word triggers. Do you have to have triggers for headaches? Do they, do, does it sometimes just happen? And I guess what are some of the most common triggers? Yeah, so you definitely don't have to have triggers for headaches or or if there is some kind of trigger in the environment, not everybody's always aware of it, right? Gotcha. Um, you know, a lot of times, though, people can identify triggers, but even people with migraines who are, who are the people who are most able to identify, who tend to be most able to identify their triggers, um, probably half of them who come in can't tell me, you know, if there are certain foods that trigger it or if there are certain... Um, you know, weather changes might be one trigger, but not everybody notices those sort of things. But it's interesting and and important to identify those triggers because if you can avoid those triggers, and not all can be avoided, weather changes, you're kind of stuck with that. But if you can avoid those triggers, yeah, I get headaches when the humidity rises. Is that a thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. What's going on there? Well, I think it's pressure changes. And is that a tension or migraine usually? It's probably a migraine, but okay. but I do think that that all sorts of headaches can get worse with weather changes. I hear that all the time from my patients, but but usually it's the migraineurs that get worse. So be- besides avoiding triggers, what are some other good things people who suffer from tension headaches should do to reduce them or get rid of them once they're there? So if you have um, infrequent tension type headaches, so maybe once a week or something. You can certainly benefit from, if it's safe for you and you've talked to your doctor, you can, you can benefit from taking a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or a Tylenol. You know, uh, there are other non-medication treatments for tension-type headaches. Um, patients who get them more frequently and, and um, you know, can't take the Tylenol or, or can't take it that often can benefit from um, things like using either heating heating pads or ice packs, whatever feels better for them, laying down and resting for a little while, Um, you know, uh, doing techniques like relaxation techniques, um, you know, square breathing techniques, sort of um, those sort of techniques that can help them relax. Square (laughs) breathing. As opposed to? (laughs) I know, right? Circle breathing? What is square breathing? I've seen something about this square breathing. It actually, it's made its way into our stall, the staff employee stall at our practice to help people calm down. It's a relaxation technique. Yeah, it activates your parasympathetic nervous system and and, and relaxes Well, our listeners are dying to know what the heck is it? (laughs) (laughs) So um, from what I understand, it is when you take a, a breath in, for four seconds. You hold that breath for four seconds, so that's the top part of the square. You let the breath out for four seconds, and then you you know hold your breath before taking another breath in. Ah. So that's four parts of the square. So four in, four hold, four out, four hold, mm-hmm. and repeat as necessary. Yeah. Man, so we're, we're talking about all different types of headaches, and we've used the terms tension versus migraine. Can, can you go through a little bit of that distinction and if there's other types of headaches that people have heard of as well? Yeah, so um, tension and migraine are the two most common types of what we call primary headache disorders. So they're headache disorders um, that aren't necessarily caused by some other secondary cause, like the, the big cause that everybody always thinks about is like a brain tumor or, you know, right. something like that. No, these are, these are just um, headache conditions that need treatment but don't have any, um, you know, clear underlying cause that needs separate treatment. Now, it seems to me that people use the term migraine for any bad headache. But what is a migraine and how can we tell it from a tension headache? Yeah. Yeah. So a migraine is a specific type of headache that... Um, happens in, in, in 
quite a um, large percent of the population. I think the numbers are 10 to 15 percent of the population. Um, and it is it tends to be a unilateral, so one side of your head headache, but not always. Um, uh, and it can be it can flip between migraines. You can get sometimes a right sided headache, sometimes a left sided headache. Um, but it tends to be unilateral. It tends to be a throbbing or, or pulsating or pounding type of pain. Unlike the tension, which is just like a constant band squeezing your head. Pressure type thing, right. yes. Um, and then migraine, uh, in order to meet the, the definition of migraine, you have to have one of three criteria with it, one of three associated symptoms. The symptoms are photophobia, which is a fancy way of saying light bothers you during the headache. Phonophobia, so sound bothers you, um, or nausea and vomiting. Um, you don't necessarily have to have the vomiting, but nausea. So one of those three things. And, um, and the, the people with migraines, uh, uh, about a third of them can also have what's called an aura associated with it. You don't have to have one for it to still be called a migraine. Um, but an aura is um, a, a number of other symptoms that go along with right. a migraine. So what are these auras? So auras um, are, are often a warning for the person that the migraine is going to come on. They tend to last about 15 minutes, usually not more than an hour. Um, they are often a visual phenomenon. Like my patients will tell me that they see um, like kaleidoscope types of colors or flashing lights or stars or um, colorful things in their vision. Um or they'll have, you know, a spot of loss of vision. Um, but you can also get less commonly, but, it, you know, it's there. Um, numbness or tingling on one side of your body. <laughs> trouble speaking even. Or weakness on one side of the body. Now, I will caution not to always just assume that's a migraine if you've never had one of those things. Because those things can also look like strokes. And so it yes. would be important if, if that's your first time having those and you're not a migraine patient to, to call 911 and get evaluation. Is there a big spectrum of severity among migraine sufferers? There is, for sure. There are people who have what's called episodic migraine, where they get um, migraines maybe a couple of times a month, or and, and they're able to treat those with just an as-needed medication. And then there are people who have what, are, what is called chronic migraine, where those people, um, they either started with episodic migraines or, or, you know, and progressed into chronic migraines, or um, they have about um, at least 15 headache days per month, and at least eight of those are migraine days. So what causes a migraine different than what causes a tension headache? Yeah, so migraines are, are have classically been thought to be a vascular phenomenon, and they're certainly still... Um, a vascular, so blood vessels, um, blood vessel uh, uh, dilation, so increase in the blood vessel size has been um, implicated in, in migraine um, pathophysiology. Both inside the skull and outside? Yes. Like when, when I get a headache that sounds like a, a migraine, my scalp in that area is really tender. Mm -hmm. Is that common? That is really common. Yep. And is that common with a tension headache for an area to be tender? It is common um, with both tension okay. and migraine, um, but you know if, if it tends to be more unilateral, so one-sided, yes. I would say that's probably okay. going to be more likely a migraine. But the other the other um, pathophysiology that we've kind of learned recently um, in migraines or the cause of migraines is um, an inflammation. So we think migraine is an a disease of inflammation. Um, like so many things now we're learning are, are inflammatory yes, diseases. Yes. Um, so we've, we've found that there is a, a protein in the brain called calcitonin gene-related peptide, mm -hmm. CGRP. And this uh, protein in migraine seems to be released from the nerve endings of that trigeminal nerve that mm -hmm. supplies pain sensation yes. to your face and head and the meninges of the brain. And so it's released from those nerve endings and it starts this cascade of inflammation, hmm. which further causes more release of that CGRP and more inflammation and, and perpetuates this migraine. So wow. I, I understand that there's a lot exciting about treatment of migraines. Mm -hmm. Tell us. Yeah. 
So right there, those the, that CGRP um, has has given us some new medications uh, within the last year and a half or so. We've had three new wow. migraine-specific medications, which is exciting in the migraine world because classically, our medications to treat migraines, to, so to prevent migraines mm-hmm. that people would take on a daily basis yes. to try to lower their frequency of migraines, those medications have been drugs that are used, for instance, for high blood pressure or seizures right. or depression, and then we happen to realize they also helped migraines. We're kind of using them for side effects. Yes, yes. And so with that comes all of the side effects. You get on the blood pressure medicine, you're getting some low blood pressures and dizziness. You yeah. you get on the seizure medicine, you might get, be getting some sleepiness. Um, and, and they do work, you know, but, but it's a balancing of side effects versus effectiveness. Um, but now we have our first drugs that are specifically targeted to a mechanism of migraine and were, hmm. you know, developed for migraine patients. Wow. And um, they are uh, irunamab, uh, fromanizumab, <laughs> and galcanizumab. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. I need a pat on my back for saying all <laughs> but, this. But, but the, the MAB at the end means a monoclonal antibody, it right? It does. So these medications are monoclonal antibodies. So they target and bind to either the CGRP molecule or the receptor that that protein CGRP binds to and does its activity through. And how effective okay. have these been? These have been very effective. So patients are getting, you know, decreases in their migraine frequency. Patients are coming in that, you know, have tried all the meds before and haven't been able to get any relief. And now their their migraines are, you know, almost non-existent. I mean, that's wow. the kind of effects we're getting. How it's are it's these been dose? fun. Is this like a shot every month or is it something by mouth when it comes on? Yeah. So it's a shot every month. So that's another a thing. You know, I mean, some patients are a little bit um, needle shy and, um, and, and are hesitant to start these medications, but I haven't had too many people not do them or, or not want to continue them because of the, the shot. But it's a shot that's once a month. One of the drugs, if you if you do have uh, difficulty with needles, is um, something that can be uh, given once every three months by a nurse in clinic. Are, are these moving towards first-line treatment for migraines? Or? They're, they're much more expensive than some of the other drugs. Um, and a lot of the insurance companies and and me too, wanting to be a good steward of, you know, uh, healthcare resources and everything. But or we're wanting to try some of the other drugs first, unless there's a good reason why patients can't have some of the other drugs. Natalie, I have a few more questions about the migraine treatments in particular. I wonder if we could address this again right after our break here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Doctor talking to Dr. Natalie Manalo about headaches. And in specific, we were just discussing some treatments for migraines. Natalie, if you had to tell someone one thing to start with, if they have headaches, to try and have less headaches, what would you start with? Lifestyle changes. So that is so important. Uh, You know, we don't always just jump straight to the drugs because a lot of people can, can have you know, good relief of their migraines just by making some changes to their lifestyle. So things like decreasing the amount of caffeine that you're drinking or taking in. I usually tell my migraine patients to limit it to one or two coffees a day. Now, wouldn't caffeine normally narrow a blood vessel? Yes. So the problem is that Caffeine works, you know, acutely in the for migraines. It, it works quickly for migraines to help. But, to help it. But if you take more and more of it, then you get into this pattern of almost your brain needs it in order not to have a headache. And uh, so you get that horrible caffeine withdrawal. And so it's almost it's a physical addiction. Yeah, it kind of very is. good. Okay, <laughs> decrease caffeine. What else? So decrease the caffeine. Um, drink more fluids in general. Don't get dehydrated. Don't skip meals. You know, exercise can be helpful for migraines. Maybe oh, not on, while you like have it's a migraine. Good for everything. It What's is. the deal? We keep talking about exercise on <laughs> it, this show. It's the big pharma kickbacks <laughs> <laughs> that we get from exercise, <laughs> right? So exercise is good for everything, including migraines. So do it. Um, any special this, kind? Uh, Aerobic. I don't. I'm not aware of any special kind. Um, core versus all of it, as far as I know, is good. You know, people with migraines are going to have some trouble probably with the aerobic stuff while they have a migraine. Sure. But, Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then 
other things that you can do as far as lifestyle is uh, stress relief. Maybe do some more of that square breathing we were talking about before. Um, you know, uh, um, as Catholics, given- we always have, you know, prayer. and Yes. And, um, and for our listeners, the two episodes in anxiety and the one coming up, uh, we've given some practical things to do for stress, too. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Good. So if you, if you feel like you've got kind of the most of the foundation of, of a good lifestyle and people have optimized that, what, one of the questions I have folks ask me a lot is about non-medication options, mm-hmm. things, uh, supplements, and things of that nature. Are there things that would be safe to say, go ahead and try this before you seek out medical care? Yeah, so there are, um, there's some data on supplements. Magnesium might be helpful. Um, uh, riboflavin, which is a vitamin, might be helpful. You know, there's some evidence that things like acupuncture might be helpful, uh, massage, that sort of thing. Um, some of the, I will caution you though, like, you know, we, we used to recommend things like butter burr and now we don't recommend that anymore. Butter burr? Butter burr. It's a supplement. Uh, okay. Um, From Harry Potter. Just, you know, the <laughs> more kidding. we learn about supplements sometimes, <laughs> butter beer, <laughs> the more we learn about supplements, sometimes we find that, you know, it's, it may it's not be tough, as safe. Because we, we learn about supplement data usually after it's in use, not before. Exactly. So exactly. There's not all these clinical trials on it like we have with some of the FDA approved drugs. Well, let's move on to one of the big worries in people. I am sure that this headache is due to a brain tumor, doctor. How can you prove it's not? Mm. <laughs> well, the chances are it's is is not going to be a brain tumor. I mean, primary headache disorders are way more common than, you know, migraines and tension headaches are way more common than disorders due to things like brain tumors, headaches due to things like brain tumors. Um, but there are certain features of the headache that, uh, you know, if you share with your doctor can can lead us to think, you know, maybe this is is more than just a migraine or more than just Have a tension headache. Have you seen patients with a brain, brain tumor as the cause of a headache? As the cause of a headache, yes. As the sole symptom, as uh, headache being the sole symptom for a brain tumor, I'm not sure. I okay, don't think very, good. very, very rarely, um, if any, because most symptoms, people have neurologic symptoms or, first okay. before they even start getting the headaches. So the headache would not be the first thing that would come on from a brain right. tumor because You're the more brain likely doesn't to, hurt, right? Right. You right. have to get to the the lining of the brain. You got to get to the lining, which means the brain tumor has to get big enough to to occupy space in the brain and push on the skull, which doesn't have a lot of room to expand. So, you know, if you're concerned, always go see your doctor. They'll do a neurologic exam. They'll look in your eyes. But I'm not going to believe it unless you do a CAT (laughs) scan and prove it. How often are CAT CT scans or MRIs necessary in a patient with a headache? So we have some some criteria that we as a medical community can use to determine whether Mm -hmm. it's necessary in a patient. And the criteria are pretty specific. I mean, uh, you know, it's people who are over over 50 and have a new headache where they've not been headache patients before. And it's I'm not talking about one, a one-time headache. I'm talking a new progressive. progressive type headache that won't go away or goes away with ibuprofen but comes back. Um, the, that patient needs a brain scan. Um, patients with can, a history of cancer or HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, those people um, who have a new onset headache that won't go away need uh, a brain and, scan. And what are the most common things you would see if there was something on the scan? So the most common thing I see on a scan that I order for a headache yes. is something called white matter lesions. Mm. So these sound scary, and I can't even tell you. <laughs> I wish patients. Lesions. Lesions. Spots. <laughs> I know. That's what, that's what they are. Is they're, they're, they're spots. They're like freckles in your brain, kind yes. of, or age spots in your brain. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Like but but um, they do sound very scary. And, um, you know, we do know that they are a little more common in people who have migraines. Uh, so we so so there's something going on with migraines that that is changing the brain potentially over time and uh, but but in general those those white spots are not something to worry about. If if I'm an intern listening to this show and I'm thinking I need to order an imaging study, should I order a CAT scan or an MRI for a headache? I 
most commonly order an MRI um, unless the patient has contraindications to that. Um, because what I'm often looking for in my patients with headaches is, is other types of conditions that might not show up on a CAT scan. So conditions where there's production of too much spinal fluid, mm-hmm. um, something called pseudotumor. It's not a tumor, but it can mimic one. Right. Um, you know, the, the CAT scan is useful in, in certain headache disorders, like the ones that come on all of a sudden, like lightning. We call them thunderclap headaches. They, they're suddenly as severe as they're going to be, and it's the worst headache of your life. CAT scan is really helpful for that because what we'd be looking for is blood, yes. you know, a bleeding aneurysm or something. Um, so, yeah. Well, let's shift gears. Another one of your expertise is in sleep. And you said there is a relationship between sleep and headaches. Is that right? There is, yes. So that's always part of my headache questions for patients is how's their sleep and do they snore and are they getting enough sleep? So that's another a lifestyle thing that, that we can we can talk about to, to prevent headaches is uh, making sure that you're getting enough sleep but not too much. Too much sleep can cause headaches too. Right. So what's the sweet spot? So it's different. It's a little bit different for everybody, but in general, we say seven to eight hours. And why does too little or too much sleep cause headaches, and which kind of headaches? So that's more likely to cause migraine headaches. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't know the exact mechanism of okay. that. Um, you just know it might it be does. some. That might be some homework for me. But um, the 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 sleep disorders can also cause headaches so whether it's not just behaviorally you're just not getting enough sleep sleep disorders like sleep apnea apnea can cause headaches and and that's a common symptom of sleep apnea is waking up in the morning with a headache that goes away after you know you've been up for 10 15 minutes something like that very good now something that i learned in prepping for this show that i knew nothing about is that among the secondary causes of headache. Number one, far and away, is something called medication overuse headaches. What is that? Well, you're not the only one who doesn't know about them. Uh, Most of my patients who come in are actually, in part, medication overuse headaches. Their headaches are worse because of medication overuse. And medication for the headache or medication for some other condition? Medication for the headache. Oh. And this only happens in people who are prone to headaches. So in people who already had tension headaches and migraines and are taking ibuprofen or Tylenol or some of the other migraine prescription medications that you take on an as-needed basis for headaches like triptans, um, this happens to them when they take the medicine too frequently. And too frequently for the -the over-the-counter medications like Tylenol or ibuprofen tends to be about 15 days per month or more. Um, and too frequently for the migraine prescription medicines or like opioid medicines um, or butalbital, uh, another migraine medication, that would be about 10 days per month if you're wow. taking it more than 10 days per month. And so how do you treat those? Do you wean off the medicine slowly? That's it. Yeah. And some people go cold turkey, but I always warn them your headache's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, you're withdrawing from the medicines, basically, you know, your brain is used to having them and, yes. and it needs them. Um, and, and you just really have to, to wean yourself off of them. Patient has a headache and it's not getting better with what they're doing themselves. Who should they see next? I would recommend they see their primary care doctor next. Uh, the primary care doctor can, can do an exam, decide if the imaging is necessary, or decide if they should move to a neurology consult or some other specialist. I mean, headaches can be caused by other, you know, other disorders, and, and you, know, you may need to see an ear, nose, and throat doctor and eye doctor. Very good. So a neurologist is not the best first place to go. No. Excellent. I've known of fellow Catholics, and I've had this experience this myself, is a headache while fasting. What's mm-hmm. going on there? What should we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, uh, part of the problem with fasting um, is that people are addicted to caffeine, and so they may be getting a caffeine withdrawal headache if you're used to having your caffeine. Um, and they may also be getting some low blood sugars, which can cause a headache too. When you're not eating, your blood sugar can go low. Um, and then they may not be staying hydrated enough either. And dehydration is a known cause of, of headaches, both tension type and, and uh, migraine. migraine. Yeah. So try to stay hydrated. Um, you know, that would be 
the best thing you can do. There's probably a matter of prudence there as well in regard to how strict they're fasting. You know, mm-hmm. that, that'd be a good one to bring up to your doctor, teach him a little bit about your, <laughs> your faith too, you know. So I, I understand that there are some special patrons for headache sufferers. There are, yes. I'm a big Saints fan. And which well, ones are you a fan of here? And do you have their rookie cards? I, I, you know, I don't know if I have their cards, but I have one of their books. But anyway, um, uh, Teresa of, uh, Avila is is one of the doctors of the church who lived in the 1500s, mm-hmm. and she had did a lot of writing. Um, she had migraines herself based on her writing. Wow. And then uh, St. Gemma, who lived in the late 1800s and was a mystic. She had um, tuberculosis and had headaches from that and got miraculously cured. And then God asked her to be a victim soul. And she (laughs) was blessed with the crown of thorns every Thursday and Friday. And so (laughs) had headaches from that. So they are great patron saints um, for you to ask for their intercession if you have headaches. That is always good to know. So tell me, what what is this brain freeze ice cream headache many of us experience? Oh, that's terrible, huh? It is. I mean, and it's you're trying Sudden. to get something so good, oh. and it just comes on, boom, like that, <laughs> almost a thunderclap. Mm-hmm. So that trigeminal nerve again, it uh, innervates the roof of your mouth, um, ah. so it supplies sensation to the roof of, roof of your mouth, and when that cold stimulus hits the roof of your mouth, it causes some changes in the diameter of your blood vessels and causes a sudden headache. And so what should you do when you get one? Rewarm. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Slow down, I guess. Slow down your ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> ah, <You're> overindulging. <laughs> yeah, so hot chocolate, then a bite of ice cream. Uh, you, you know, Natalie, does, does eye strain cause headaches? A lot of times people associate you know, needing new glasses and stuff with headaches. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that a lot, and I I don't hear a lot of people come back to me and say, "Yeah, my headaches are gone once I saw the optometrist." You know, I think, um, I think that they probably have more of a tension type headache and are associating their long computer use with eye strain and and headaches. Um, that that then makes truly, sense. Uh, you know, they just need glasses. Now, something I've always wondered about, uh, before I operate on my patients, I get their blood pressure, and sometimes it's like, you know, 210 over 110. So one of the common questions I ask is, well, do you have a headache associated with this? Is there any association between headaches and high blood pressure? Well, if their blood pressure is that high, 210 <laughs> over 110, they may have a headache. Um, I've never seen one yet. It really? It, oh. Out of hundreds of patients with blood pressures like that over yeah. the years. Well, I've seen a lot of them because I'm the one that's called when they do have that headache yeah. with it. But um, <laughs> it can cause a condition called PRESS, posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome. And what happens is the blood pressure is too high. It messes with the blood-brain barrier, that barrier between your blood and your brain that tries to protect us. The, the blood vessels become become leaky, there starts to be swelling in the brain, and that can actually cause um, a headache and, and among other symptoms. So that's an emergency. That's a neurologic emergency. And is there a blood pressure above which I should, if, if a patient has a headache with a certain blood pressure, is there a reason to send them to an emergency room? So that shouldn't happen unless the patient's on cancer drugs, because cancer drugs can make that more likely, or unless the patient is about to deliver or just delivered. Okay. Um, you know, is about to have a baby. Um, the blood pressure is usually 180 over 110 or higher. Um, but they, I mean, it would be a striking, you know, it would be, it wouldn't just be a tension type headache. It would be a headache that they are telling you about. You wouldn't really have to ask them the, about it. Their idea, it's probably their idea to go to the ER too. They're yes, like, this it is definitely wrong. is. Okay. <laughs> they may There's have vision changes. The They're probably also nauseated and confused. Okay, so it's going to have other symptoms yes. associated with Seizures, it. Seizures, potentially. What's the most challenging part for you of treating patients with headaches? Well, I, I find it uh, challenging finding the right drug for patients sometimes. And then also sometimes uh, getting the, the challenge of getting people off of these medication, uh, over, medication overuse. That's because people, hardest. yeah, it's hard to get off of drugs when you've been... You're in pain. That, yeah. m- that might be a good public service announcement kind of for <laughs> patients, too. Just I, I'm thinking of a f- few folks I've seen with headaches, too. And the thought is, is that if I just get more of the drugs, it will help. But it sounds like a lot of times when they get to you, the first thing you do is start slowing down the medicine. Taking them off. And we often have to start a preventative medicine to help them wean off those drugs, too. Uh, 
And uh, finally, you've, t- you've told me offline that the website headaches.org is the best place for patients to go to get more information. But in your final comments, what do you wish people knew about headaches that they don't know? They're very treatable. You know, get help. You don't have to keep living with pain. There are some people who it's hard to treat. It's true. Um, but they are very treatable. So, you know, see a doctor. Get help. Dr. Natalie Manalo, thank you for being with us on Dr. Doctor and educating us about headaches. You're welcome. Good to be here. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the trivia question. So, on April 12, 1945, who was sitting for a portrait and said, I have a terrific pain in the back of my head, lost consciousness, and died two and a half hours later? This was, as Natalie talked about, a thunderclap headache that becomes as strong as it's going to be right away. Yes, and I am a history buff, so I actually picked up on, on the date. Yes, the, the date is uh, everything. And so, Andrew? Uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now, it's fascinating. We, we talked in a previous episode with Dr. Dave Kaminskis about hypertension and talked about the ter- terrific high blood pressure that FDR had. Now, initially, people thought that was the cause of his stroke and probably played a role, but the primary cause was probably in my realm of dermatology. It was later determined that he had a melanoma on his left forehead, and it's thought that the melanoma metastasized to his brain. And then as it was growing in the brain, caused this bleeding. The bleeding caused pressure, you know, as the blood fills up rapidly from the large vessels in the brain, and uh, putting pressure against the skull, got the headache, and he died. Holy cow. So, and there was probably, uh, well, there was a cover-up that that this was the the cause. In other words, he had avoided having this treated for some reason. And he actually ended up living longer than he thought he was going to. His goal was to make it to the end of World War II, and he got within a month. Well, he he reminds me of a lot of people I meet. They say, you know, Doc, I'm perfectly healthy. I don't take any medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's within a month of uh, the war in Europe, of course, uh, it was August for the war in uh, the Pacific. So some more listener questions that we have. Uh, I love listener questions. Tom from New York's got a question about prostate cancer. Yes. Is there any other method of testing for prostate cancer other than a CAT scan and a prostate biopsy? He gives his last six PA test scores, which were uh, all between uh, 3.6 and 4.9, and he has something called an IntelliScore of 45.58. He said that the IntelliScore is the reason that the doctor told him to get a biopsy, and he asks us if we have any ideas. Being a terminologist, I don't, but I'm sure that Andrew does. You know, there's nothing more that I like better than a PSA about PSA. <laughs> and uh, Public service announcements about prostate-specific antigen. <laughs> I like PSA as much as the next guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because it it, it, it it does give us a lot of information. Without trying to give very specific advice, nothing can substitute for an individual encounter with your doctor. Uh, I do think that that can be serious. With PSA, it's a blood test that looks at an antigen from the prostate. And more than an absolute number, we look at trends. The IntelliScore is from a newer type of testing that's not really FDA approved, but it is being used, and, and it may be better in the, in the future, but that number you're giving of 45 is concerning to me. The only way we really know about prostate cancer at this point is with biopsy. We do know that 11% of guys will have it in their lifetime, but if you get it diagnosed, 98% of guys survive through the first five years. So it's very important to take it seriously and for everybody to to go ahead and make sure you're getting your prostate checked after you turn 40. Great advice. And Andrew, would you ask the next question? Yes. This one, Tom, I I thought would be good for you. This is from Abby from South Bend about the intermittent fasting episode. She said that she loved the episode and she's been trying it out. And she had a question about the 16 to 8 ratio of intermittent fasting in regard to receiving Holy Communion during the 16-hour no-food window. What do you think, Tom? uh, Well, I've been doing this since April. I've lost 15 pounds with it and counting calories. So I wonder, when I go to Mass, you know, does it make a difference? And, you know, the whole thing here is that, as Dr. Um, Craig Stump, uh, our endocrinologist uh, guest from Arizona, said, uh, it's good for your system to cycle back and forth between using sugar and storing sugar. And it takes, he said, about 13 
hours or so to get into the storing sugar phase of metabolism. So does receiving the host, which even though it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, still has the uh, appearances and physical attributes of bread? What does it do? So I looked it up. And uh, based on data of the weights of the host and how many calories, the average host you receive has about 0.9 calories, so less than one calorie per host, whereas the average sip of from the cup of the, the wine become blood has about 12 calories. So I think receiving a one-calorie host is not going to drive you into the, the sugar utilization It's not going to break you out of ketosis. I don't huh? think it's going to break you out. So I think that is just fine. I wouldn't worry about it. And, you know, God bless you for trying uh, this out. It's turned out to me to be a good life hack because I have more time in the morning now. I pray longer. I'm not stressed. I have time to get in the shower. I get to work early. You know, it's a win-win and I'm just as hungry as I was after I ate breakfast as I am not eating breakfast. So, you know, my my eight hours are like from 12.30 or 1 o'clock until 8.30 or 9 at night. Man, I love it. So thank you, Abby, for writing to us. Great question. And thank everybody for listening to this episode of Dr. Doctor, the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association brought to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio. We are on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend. Invite them to listen to our on our on our on their favorite podcast app or at redeemerradio.com forward slash doctor. And be sure to rate and review our show. This helps new listeners find us. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor, where we will be discussing home genetic testing with Dominican priest and PhD researcher, Dr. and Father Nicanor Austriaco. This is Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor.